didn't realize this is going to be as, as hard as it, uh, as it is today. Go to Acts 1. Let me uh, dive in here as quick as I can and uh, see if we can get running into the scripture. But generations, you guys have been such a blessing to me and to my family and uh, Pastor Jeff, elders, those of you in leadership here, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way you've cared for us, loved us. Uh, church community, thank you so much for the way that you guys uh, have just allowed us to grow here with you. And it's been such a delight to see the work of Jesus um, here at Generations. We're excited for the days that are ahead. And, and what's amazing about us in just the providence of God opening the Bible to Acts is we're going to um, aim this series at talking about what the church is, why the church is, uh, what, what does it look like to be the church from its birthday, uh, which we find in Acts chapter 2. We'll talk about that next week, um, all the way through uh, this book in Acts that just shows us how the church grew and, and what it looked like and, and how it was empowered and what the mission was. And, and so I think this is going to be such an amazing series that's going to set a trajectory for what is going to be a new day, a new season in the life of generations. And so if you're in Acts chapter 1, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these opening verses uh, and then we're going to dive right in for the, uh, the sake of, of time and just knowing this is kind of an introductory message to begin with, all right? So here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And whilst staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so if this series is entitled The Church, and if what we're going to do is look in the book of Acts at what is the church, the main idea today is going to be the foundation point, all right? The main idea today is that the church exists because Jesus is alive. Um, the church exists because Jesus is alive. He is alive. And what we see in these opening verses from Luke, and I, I just love the context of it, right? That these disciples have walked with Jesus for three years. They've learned from Jesus. They've watched Jesus. 
They've been confused and confounded by Jesus. They've tried to just figure out what it is that Jesus is doing and how it is that God is using him and, and what all of these different things mean. And then they watch Jesus suffer. They watch Jesus die. They watch Jesus bury. And, and now at this point, right, they, they are completely confused. And, and yet three days later, Jesus appears to them again. And now here they are listening to these last commands as he tells them to wait. And then as they're having this conversation um, and he's giving these last instructions that we just read together, what happens? He, he floats away. Right? I mean, it's just, it's such a crazy scene, isn't it? Um, we, were, uh, we were together yesterday as a family having a going away party. And, and uh, you know, many of you guys were there and, and people from different communities in our neighborhood and the school and all these, it was just amazing to watch, right? And we had some balloons because today is my son Kai's birthday. And so happy birthday, Kai. He's 10 today. And so we had some balloons for that and a pinata and the whole thing. And, and, and so last night we're cleaning everything up and my nephew, who's not yet two, Okay, he's not, he could barely even string sentences, to, you know, words together to make a sentence. He's watching me as I was untying the balloons from the cooler. And, and I could tell he was getting anxious as I was doing this. He was kind of, you know, why and up and, and you know, just kind of trying to, trying, to, he's trying to communicate something to me, right? And, and it finally I, I kind of put together like, buddy, are you afraid these are going to fly away? And he's like, yeah, 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 you know, why are you doing that? Basically, he's just trying to say, like, uncle, what are you doing? Why would you untie those? They're going to go away. And, and so I, that's just the scene that I get, right? It's like the disciples are hanging around Jesus, and then all of a sudden, like, like the balloon, like he just kind of starts floating off, right? And it's, it's, it's just this crazy scene, right? They're kind of all like nudging each other, right? Like, you know how the disciples are always bickering and fighting anyway? That's just kind of the, like the picture I get. It's like one of them's looking at the other, like, what, what did, what did you, why didn't you tie him down? You know, why did you let him go? You know, quick, somebody grab him. Like, there he goes. And then just like my kids would, that's what the disciples do. I mean, that's the, the end of this scene is that we, we all, you know, whenever, whenever they let the balloon go, like one, one of them's crying because the balloon's gone. And then the rest of us just stand there and we watch it. <laughs> right? And you just kind of see like how far. Can you still see it? Can you guys still see it? And I mean, that, that's how this scene ends. The disciples are all standing around just kind of watching Jesus go, right? Can, can you still see him? And then these guys show up and they say, hey, I, we don't get it. I don't, we don't know why you're watching him go up. He's coming back. There's some work to do. And that's exactly what this passage does. Luke sets up the book of Acts by just reminding us of that. Jesus is alive. He's exalted now in heaven, but he's coming back. And so what do we do with this in-between time? What is the church? Why is the church? And so if you jump back from, you know, verses 9, 10, and 11, where we see Jesus, you know, uh, helium-filled Jesus floating away, um, we, we come back to the beginning where he says, hey, the first book, O Theophilus. And now there's a lot of debate over the, the, this stuff here, right? Is who, who is Luke actually talking about? Is Theophilus a real character? Is he not? And and, uh, and, and, and the thing is, is we're, we're diving in, as, as we just read, into the sequel. And so if you're new to the Bible, this is an unfamiliar story to you. There's an entire prequel to the book of Acts. And it, it's, it's just a few books in front. It's called the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke penned 
his gospel story, and, and he, was, he was not a Jewish man, and he was not a, one of the original disciples. And so what's critical about Luke's account is, is it's, it's extremely historical. He was clearly a well-educated man, most believe he was a physician, and so very well-educated. Um, his, his, you know, those who study, you know, the original languages and they look at like the sentence structure and syntax and all that stuff, they say, man, this guy, he, he, not only was he, did he do his job of like, you know, interviewing eyewitnesses, getting those accounts down, making sure his record was historical and accurate, but he also was, he was very eloquent. You know, he, he, he was, he was very well educated. He knew, he's very articulate. He knew exactly what he wanted to communicate and he communicated it well. That's who Luke is. And so some believe this Theophilus is a real character who, who might have actually endowed Luke's work. You know, that, that there was this desire to have a historical account and record from firsthand eyewitnesses. And so this Theophilus may have been a, a wealthy figure in the community there who said, you know, Luke, listen, I'm going to support you. I'm going to endow this work, and you're going to go, and you're going to just interview everybody and talk to everybody, and you're going to get this record down. And so that's, that's what we're jumping into is right in the middle of that story. Luke's saying, hey, Theophilus, I've already given you part one, all right? And there's, there's no Jar Jar Binks or anything like that. If you guys want to go back and read it, okay, it's not stupid or weird, okay? It's, it's, it's just as good as the sequel, all right? But that's, that's the gospel of Luke is, is Luke giving us everything that Jesus did and taught until the day that he floated away is what he tells us in verses 1 and 2. All right, so if, if, again, if you're new to this, all right, jump in there. Read Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And then it's going to bring us right to this point where he says, now what I want to remind you of is everything that happens after this. I want to remind you of how the church began. I want to remind you of what these early days looked like and where the disciples went next. And there's these three really big themes that he introduces to us in this opening, this, these opening paragraphs. And so what I want to do is just look really briefly at these themes because as Pastor Jeff and, and the team continue to walk you through the book of Acts, you're going to see these themes continue to come up again and again and again. And here they are. The kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit, and, and wit the witnesses of Jesus. Okay, the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit, and the witnesses of Jesus. We're going to see these themes just continue to play out in the book of Acts. And it's not just that those themes help us understand the narrative that Luke is, is giving us. Those themes actually give shape and character to the story of the church, even today. Even today. So these are going to be massive things for us to gather. And so let's look first at this idea of the kingdom of God. If you look at verse 3. He says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing about the kingdom of God, okay? You can see it up here on the screen. The, the good news of the kingdom, it requires that there be a vindicated, victorious king. Do you, do you realize that, okay? So, so no, there, there's, there's nothing that's, that's uh, more sad, more pathetic, right, than, than those who would like to hold up or fight for or somehow champion um, a, a dead kingdom. Um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like those stories that you, you read if you're a history buff and, and you find out that like at World War II, when the war was long over, there was still some, some Axis forces in the islands in the South Pacific still fighting. And it's, I mean, that ship sailed. It's done. It's over. And so there's, just, there's nothing just more, more sad, more pathetic than that, right? That there would be those who champion and fight for and give their lives for something that's done. It's dead. It's over. And so for the kingdom of God to be a theme that doesn't just shape the church then, but continues to shape the church now, it requires that there be a vindicated, victorious king. And so Luke, in his historical record, he has gone to great pains to, to make sure we understand this isn't some fable, this isn't some myth. And, and again, if you're new to the, the gospel story, if you're new to the biblical account, I welcome you. I welcome you to jump in and, and, and study it and research it. Look, look at it. I'm, there's, there's no fear here of what you're going to discover or find. If you're skeptical, if you're just not so sure, yeah, you know, this happened so many years ago, how could any of this be reliable? If you have those types of questions, well, then, then dive in. Dive in. Because there, there's a long history of people who've had the same questions you were, and as they began to dive in, they, be, they began to realize something that this is true in reality and reliable, okay? That the kingdom of God exists, the church exists because Jesus is literally, physically, truly alive, alive. He's alive. And he presented himself after those sufferings with many proofs, he says. And so um, this, this, uh, this is really this list you see on the screen, it's really for uh, those of you who are going to dive into this study, those of you in community groups this week, you're going to be looking at some of these verses just to see, how, again, the pains that the, the biblical writers, Luke specifically, went to to show us. And so what you have up there on the screen is Luke starts after the resurrection with these two guys walking to Emmaus. It was seven miles outside Jerusalem. They just watched everything go down, and they're dismayed. Jesus is dead. And as they're walking, like this guy just shows up and starts walking with them. And uh, they, they begin to ask all these questions uh, of him, and he begins to open up this, the, the Old Testament and explain to them, like, hey, you shouldn't be distraught. Like, if the Messiah was truly this Jesus guy you're talking about, he needed to suffer and die. And he explained all that to them. And then they sit down in, at a meal, and, and this character, they don't know who it is, but we do because we're reading it. Luke lets us know. He lets us in on it. But, but he breaks bread. And the minute he breaks bread, these two followers of Jesus recognize him. And the moment that they recognize him, he vanishes, <laughs> right? Just, again, not, no balloon this time. He's just, he just gone, right? So kind of, kind of wild and crazy. And then the next account, all the disciples are huddled in this room. This is, this is now Luke 24, verse 36 and beyond. The disciples are huddled in the room. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They just saw, you know, the, the authorities take their, their, their rabbi, their master, their teacher, and, and beat and, and, and crucify him. And so they don't know what's going to happen with them. They're scared. And, and here they are in this locked room, and the vanishing Jesus appears right there before them. Okay? And so, again, if you're skeptical and you're thinking, look, that stuff's just, you know, that this is, that can't be real. Yet the accounts are clear that if you read it, Luke 24, Jesus says, see the scars. Come touch. This, I'm no ghost. I'm no phantom. This isn't, this isn't some hallucination you're collectively having as if that's even possible. And then he actually asks them for breakfast. He's like, you got any fish? And he sits down and he has like some fish tacos with the disciples. 
right? Like that's, that's what, G, like he actually eats food. And I don't know if you guys are, know this, right? But it's not a spirit or ghosts or, or, you know, hallucinations that eat food. But those who have a physical body. So Jesus has physically, bodily, truly risen from the dead, and he's there. And so all these other accounts, in John, we see that Mary Magdalene gropes and clings on to him as she encounters him at the tomb. And in, in John 20, verse 11, John 20, verse 27, that's the story of, if you've ever heard somebody say, don't be a doubting Thomas, that's where that comes from, is one of the disciples was, was not there the first time Jesus appeared. And so imagine being that guy, right? Like you show back up, and everyone's like, Jesus, we're just here. You know, come on, really? No, he wasn't. There's no way. We all saw him die. Like, what are you talking about? And that, that was Thomas. Thomas is the guy who's like, he's not going to believe it until he sees it. And so Jesus does the same thing. So then touch. Touch touch right here. You can, you can touch where the nails went through my skin. Touch my side. You can touch where, where the spear, you watched them pierce my side with a spear. You can touch it. You can feel it. I'm eating food. You're clinging to me. And so all of these gospel writers, they make sure it's abundantly clear that Jesus proved to those around him that he truly was alive, okay? And, and all of those, you keep going, 1 Corinthians 15, that's Paul. And he actually goes through the whole list. He's like, okay, first Jesus appeared to Simon, then he appeared to the 12, and, and then he actually says, and this is all, you can read it, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, and at least at one point, he appeared to over 500 people. And then here's the kicker. Okay, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, and most of them are still alive. What's the significance of that? Yeah, go ask them. Go ask them. Do, do you doubt this? Do you question this? Do you wonder about this? He, he has suffered. We all know that. He was buried. We all saw that. But he's alive. And if you haven't seen him, then just go ask the ones he appeared to. He, he has proven this, Luke says, again and again and again, okay? And he's speaking of the kingdom, but the kingdom requires that there be a king and the king be victorious and vindicated. And so they're painstaking detail that these gospel authors, Luke specifically, go through to make sure that we understand this is not something made up in the imagination of men and women. This is reality. This is true. Jesus is alive. And so he makes sure we know that. But here's the other thing about the resurrection. I don't, I don't know if you, you knew this about uh, the Christian faith. For, for those of us that hold this dear, um, you'll get this. But if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you may not realize that the resurrection is kind of a big deal. Okay? It's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal for us who follow Jesus. And it's a big deal not just because it historically is truthful. Okay, which it is. We just talked through that. It's a big deal because of why. Why? So why do I use those words, victorious, vindicated? Why do I use those words? Okay, because here's what the resurrection does about the claims of, of Jesus and who he is. Because uh, anybody can say they're a king, right? And most of us would roll our eyes. And, but, but Jesus is announcing a kingdom, and he's proclaiming himself the king of this kingdom. And, and what, we, what we know to be true, not just of Luke's narrative, but this is really now kind of zooming way out, and we're just talking about the narrative of Scripture, is that any of us, all of us, 
can look at our lives, our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our, our cities, states, nation, world that we live in, okay? So you, you can go as, as micro or macro as you want. And all of us have to, at some point, come to grips with the haunting questions that this is broken. This is broken. This doesn't look the way that we think that it should look. It doesn't go the way that we think it should go. It's broken. Something is wrong here when we look at just the, the story that we're all a part of. And so there's this commonality that we all share, this shared spiritual condition that the Bible articulates for us. It helps us to see where we're at in the context of this world and the creation that God's made. And what we see is that all of us share this spiritual condition that that pays no notice to what race we're from, what gender we are, what economic or background or status that we have. It's in our DNA, and we've inherited it from our first parents, that every one of us has a posture of rebellion towards God. Okay, every one of us. And every one of us, besides this posture of rebellion, we have this propensity toward lies rather than the truth of God. Every one of us. And, and we have... In, in, in addition to that, this, this pattern of self, self-reliance, self-confidence, self-delusion, okay? This is the story that all of us find ourselves in. And, and so there's a word that's put to that biblically, okay? It's a small word, it's a short word, but you've probably heard it before, and it's sin. That we find ourselves sinners before a God who is sinless, Okay, unholy people before a God who is altogether holy and good and righteous. And so that's a problem. That's a problem for all of us. That's a problem. Sin presents this problem, kind of this twofold problem for us. First, sin is, is this penalty that we cannot pay. And death is the ultimate price. And sin is this power that we cannot overcome, and death is its ultimate weapon. And so sin and death are, are, are this reality all of us deal with. All of us deal with. It's, it's that commonality that I just spoke of. This is the story that connects all of humanity together. And so what, what do we do about this problem? And that's what's amazing about the biblical account is it, it takes this penalty of of sin and death its price. It takes the power of sin and, and death its weapon. And it shows us that, that God in his grace sends God the Son. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Spirit in a moment. So God the Father sends the Son into this world for us. He takes on humanity for us. He goes to the cross and pays the penalty of our sin for us. He goes to the cross confronting the power of sin for us. How do we know he paid this penalty? How do we know he confronted this power? Well, what was the outcome of the cross? Death. He embraced the ultimate penalty. He embraced the ultimate weapon of sin, which is death. He took it on himself for us. 
And we can. We can say thank you to that. We can praise Jesus for that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. How does that give us any hope? The resurrection is kind of a big deal, isn't it? Right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, it is the evidence. It is the, the, the proof. It is the final word that Jesus is the king and that his kingdom is here because he is victorious over Satan, sin, and death. He is vindicated in every claim that he's ever made. This is huge. This is huge. And it's going to be this gospel of the kingdom, this message of, of Jesus' resurrection that is going to just pervade now. It is, it is going to go in, in, throughout the rest of this book of Acts because the proclamation of the gospel is the proclamation that the kingdom of God is here and now present in the resurrected, victorious, vindicated king, Jesus. Okay? It's a big deal. This is the kingdom of God. All right? The big major theme. So that's number one. Number two major theme, okay, is going to be the Holy Spirit. So I want you to look at uh, verse 4 and 5. While staying with them, Jesus is with his disciples. He tells them, don't leave Jerusalem, okay? You need to wait for the promise of the Father. And my, my guess is this was for Thomas because Thomas was the guy who was always not around, right, when, when, uh, when, when Jesus showed up. So it's like, hey, you've got to stay here. The Holy Spirit's coming. I don't want you to miss that. But he's telling him, you've got to be in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's coming. He says, John baptized in water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is a spectrum within the church, okay? And, and we're not going to dive into the weeds of this now. I think as, as, as Pastor Jeff and the team run through the rest of Acts, you're going to see these different, these different cameos, if you will, that the Holy Spirit is going to make throughout the book of Acts, okay? He's a central figure to the story of the church, the existence of the church, and in the narrative of Acts, Okay? So you're going to see more and more, and I'm sure you'll get into more of this, but the spectrum, right, there are those in the church who are just fearful of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they rarely, if ever, will talk about the Holy Spirit because it just kind of, it just, it just makes them itchy, all right? So there are those on that end of the spectrum, right? And then there are those on another end of the spectrum that I'll just call them like fanboys of the Holy Spirit, okay? And if you don't, if you don't know that word, you can look it up. It just means that there's kind of this just, just obsessive um, over, you know, just, just over-occupation with something, okay? And so that's kind of the spectrum that we can see within the church, those who are afraid of the Holy Spirit and those who are kind of fanboys of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and all I, I have up on the screen here, because, again, you're going to um, jump into this in community groups, and I can't encourage you enough to get in one if you're not, and, and just walk through this study together, okay? Because generations, you, you are... The church. You're not the church in its entirety, but you are a part of the story that we're reading, all right? And, and, and so we want you to be growing as disciples with us in the gospel, in community, on mission together. And so what you're going to see as you look at John 14, 15, and 16, if this is new to you, this, this is not John's words. It's John's gospel, but John is just quoting Jesus in these chapters. And, and I would encourage you to read through there and just note just note the work of the Holy Spirit from Jesus' own mouth, okay? Because what you're going to see consistently is that we ought not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we, 
we should actually be so grateful and thankful. Jesus even says himself, you need me to go. You need me to go because when I go and I'm exalted with the Father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit as a helper. And so chapter 14, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us as his disciples. Chapter 15, the Holy Spirit is going to, to bear witness of Jesus. Okay, and that's the thing. The thing about those who get preoccupied with the Spirit that they miss is that the Holy Spirit doesn't want attention. Okay, the Holy Spirit wants to bear witness of the resurrected Jesus. Okay, that's the work of the Spirit is to say Jesus is alive and to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, okay? And then the other thing about the Holy Spirit, we'll see in, verse, in, in chapter 16, is that the Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. And so again, the, the Holy Spirit didn't come so that we can bark or clap or gold dust would fall from the ceiling. Like, that's not what the Holy Spirit is here to do. The Holy Spirit is here, and what we see throughout the story of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is here so that we as his people would boldly proclaim the gospel and that we as his people would be transformed by the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit's here for. And so that's what you're going to see throughout this storyline is that the kingdom is announced because the king is resurrected, victorious, vindicated, okay, that the Holy Spirit is here to, to empower that proclamation and to empower that transformation, all right? That's what the Holy Spirit's here for. But, but here's, the, here's the next thing and the last thing is the, uh, the witnesses of Jesus. Okay, and I, I want you to see this because you, you might be familiar with this passage. Um, if you've been around church at all, uh, you, you maybe have heard it uh, referenced or used that the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you. You're going to be witnesses. And then Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. But let's look at it. This is verse 6. Um, what Jesus says in 7 and 8 is a response to a question that the disciples ask. And I'm pointing that out because um, contextually it's important. So, so when, when all of this is played out, okay, Jesus has lived, taught, done things, as Luke said. He's suffered, died, proven he's alive, as Luke said. And now he's with the disciples these last days and hours which, which, you know, if anybody have been there, if you've ever been there in the last days and hours of somebody, right, like the things said are meaningful things. They're, they're, they're things with gravity, with weight, okay? And, and so it's in this context that now the disciples ask a question. And, and you catch it, they say, so Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That, that's the question that they ask. And the context, right, is that these, these first disciples were, were all Jewish men. And, and even the women that were a part of the community, for the most part, were Jewish women. So the community around Jesus right now, okay, Acts is going gonna to play out differently, thankfully. But right now, it's predominantly Jewish, a Jewish community that are around Jesus. And, and everything that they, they've understood about the Old Testament and the, the, the story to this point and the anticipation and the expectation of the Messiah is that when, when the, the Messiah comes, when this king comes to establish the kingdom of God, and, and now that Jesus has been dead and alive before them, right, appearing and vanishing and all the things that he's doing, right, I mean, he, like, they're convinced. They're convinced, Okay. Jesus, we had our questions, we had our doubts, all right, and then there's always Thomas, but we get it now. You are 
the king. And we're going to wait here until this Holy Spirit thing comes and tells us, right? Like that's where they're at. And now the, the pressing question on their hearts and minds is, so now we get the kingdom, right? This is when you, you restore the kingdom of Israel. That's a, it's a fair question. I'm, I'm not going to beat these guys up for that because that's a fair question. They're, they're Jewish men and women who are living under the oppressive ruling reign and authority, not of God and his anointed one, the King Jesus, but under what? Under the, the rule and, and, and of Rome. And they don't like that. They don't want that. And I think if any of us were able to put ourselves contextually, historically into their position, we would be the same way. In fact, my guess is, my guess is that if we wanted to take that historical context and we wanted to bring it into our world, every single one of us, maybe even every single week that we come and gather, has a question like this for Jesus. Jesus, is this when I finally get a spouse? Jesus, is this when we finally get, get to have and start a family? Jesus, Jesus, is, is it this time now that you're, you're going you're gonna to finally give me that job I've been hoping for, I've been wanting? Je Jesus, is it this time that you're going to get rid of, you know, this, this guy in the Oval Office? Whatever it is, right? We, we can have the same kinds of questions when we come to Jesus. We can look at the world around us and we can prioritize a thousand other things than what it is that God in his grace and wisdom, empowering us as his people, following after his son would call us to. God has his priorities. But oftentimes we have ours and they don't line up. And, and so the disciples, they're asking an honest question. They're asking an understandable question. They're asking a question that I really do think looks and sounds a lot like the questions that we can bring to Jesus. Is it at this time, Jesus, that we get what we're wanting and hoping and praying for? And Jesus' response, it's, it's not unkind. But, but he, you notice he doesn't answer them. <laughs> he kind of, he, he kind of like, it's like a Heisman post, right? He kind of like stiff arms, like right, right by that. He's just like, hey, you, you guys, you're asking things you, you don't need to know, right? God has his, his, his plan and his wisdom, and that's his authority and prerogative, and, uh, and you're, not, you're not in the know on that one. Okay, and now before we think that that's unkind though, look at how he finishes it. Because he dives right into, but, but let me tell you what is going to happen. You remember the Holy Spirit I told you about? Okay, well he is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to fill you. He's going to empower you. And when you are filled with the power of my very spirit, whom I promise, if helping you, teaching you, filling you, strengthening you, when, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, then here's what 
you're going to be about. You are going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And staying real quickly within the context, I think that's Jesus' answer to their question. Hey, does the kingdom come for Israel now? Guys, let me tell you where this is going. Okay, you're going to start here, and you're going to end in the nations. You're going to end in the corners and the edges of the earth. Okay, because what God is doing is so much bigger. It's so much grander. It's so much more beyond just the myopic, self-centered questions that you have for me right now. And I think, again, if we, can, if, we can, if we can meet them in the historical context there, we can see how applicable that answer is for us now. Because how myopic, how self-centered can we be when we as the church can gather and we can have conflict with one another, we can you know, take up arms against the culture around us, the very culture Jesus has called us to love and to reach. We, 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 can, we can have just all these, you know, you know pre- battles and wars over preferences of what the music sounds like or whether the building's, you know, you know, ours or not and all these different things that we can go back and forth on. And Jesus is just like, guys, <laughs> like uh, uh, what God is doing is so much more amazing than these questions you're asking. If you could just lift up your eyes, if you could just understand the spirit is filling you and I am sending you and and where this thing is heading is it's going to impact every family and tongue and nation and tribe on this planet. What a grand story. What a grand story, right, for the church to be invited into. And so what I what I want you to know on this witnesses is just a couple things as we close, okay? Because, again, you're, you're going to see this play out. You're going to see the kingdom of God. You're going to see the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the disciples of Jesus be the witnesses that he's calling them to be here in chapter, eight verse, chapter 1, verse 8, okay? And, and what I don't want us to do, because a lot of times when we hear the word witness, we get confused. Um, Right, the connotation of witness in our day and time is either um, I'm I'm in this really sterile courtroom behind a, a bench, and I'm going to testify right to you know something I've seen or heard. Right, the witness takes the stand. Or when we think of witness, especially in the context of the church, right, we we think about um, you know like like tracks, and you know we're gonna. We're going to go up and have some kind of like, if you don't die tonight, pickup line, and, and we're going to hopefully somebody meets Jesus. And, and I, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying like that's what we think of when we think of witness. It's, it's, in, it's in the court of law or it's, it's some form of, of personal evangelism. But what Luke is talking about when he talks about witness is, is, is threefold in the book of Acts. The disciples of Jesus are the witnesses that he called them to be every time they proclaim the name of Jesus publicly. And that's what you're going to see from Acts 2 next week. And I can't wait for you to, I can't wait for you guys to get there next week. I mean, it's, it is amazing what happens when the Holy Spirit empowers the church and, and the gospel is proclaimed for the first time. So you got to come next week because it literally is the church's birthday, okay? And you're going to see it happen. 
And if, and if it didn't happen, if Acts 2 didn't happen, literally the disciples would still be on that hill looking up at the clouds. I mean, so Acts 2 is so critical. But when the Holy Spirit does come and he does empower them, you're going to see this public proclamation. And thousands are going to be saved by Jesus. It's amazing. And you're going to see that again and again um, throughout, throughout the, the, the narrative. In, in, in Acts 8, uh, Philip is, is preaching to crowds in Samaria. And then, and then wait till you get to Paul. I mean, wait till Paul shows up. I mean, it's just left and right. There's crowds galore, and he's just constantly proclaiming Jesus. And, then, and it's like riots are breaking out around the guy. So, but every time they proclaim the name of Jesus publicly, they are being the witnesses that, that, that Luke is describing here. This, the second thing you're going to see is every time they declare their allegiance to Jesus before the ruling powers, whatever those are. And again, you're going to see it as early as Acts 4, and it's just going to continue all the way until the latter, the latter part of Acts, like chapters 22 to 26, are basically just these long sermons that Paul gives. And he's, he's not in this public like setting as far as a crowd and a riot. He's in these public settings where he's standing before the governors and the tribunals. And, and again, those were public. Okay? The, the people in the know, the people that wanted to be around, you know, the, the, everything going on, they would come and they would watch these things. And they're listening to the, the disciples declare their allegiance to Jesus before the ruling, rulers and the powers that were in authority. Okay? So there's this public aspect. And here's the third thing. They're, they're the witnesses of Jesus every time they endure suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. That's what it means when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. The witnesses of Jesus are those who gather publicly around the name in the proclamation of Jesus, those who consistently declare their allegiance over against whatever other authority or rule that, 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 that exists, and are those who are willing to endure suffering and persecution for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. That's what it means to be a witness. And you're going to see that play out. And, and here's where I'll close with, because this, this is a quote. This is a quote from Acts chapter 5. And uh, you'll get to this story eventually. But I want you to see here in Acts chapter 5, um, a couple of the disciples, they're dragged before these, these, uh, these rulers. Um, still in a Jewish context in Acts chapter 5. And, and, man, these, these guys are livid at them to the point that they're ready to just, they want to kill them right then and there. And there's one level-headed guy in the, in the group. And, and this is, so this, isn't, this is not a follower of Jesus speaking, okay? Um, this is just a level-headed dude in the midst of a bunch of, like, really angry guys with the authority to kill the disciples, and they're ready to do it. And here's what he says. He's like, look, at this plan or this undertaking... Like, I get you guys are hot and bothered, right, he's saying? But, like, if this plan and this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. We've seen this again and again, guys. So calm. Like, simmer down now, right? That's what he's telling them. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might, he says, out of the mouth of a non-believer. Remember that. You might, he says, even be found opposing God. That statement was made about the beginnings, the origin of the church almost 2,000 years ago. 
let that sink in a second. The church exists, generations, because Jesus is alive. He is alive. And he has been announcing his kingdom through witnesses empowered by his spirit for almost two millennia. And the church still exists today because even those who tried to oppose it have never been able to kill it or crush it. In fact, those who have opposed it have found themselves opposing God himself. So let's, let's close with this question. Are you a part of this or are you opposing this? Because if you find yourself in the latter group, then the invitation to you is to bend your knee before King Jesus this morning and jump on this adventure and ride with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace to us in Jesus. We thank you for the comfort, the help, the, the power that you give us in your spirit. And we thank you that in your grace in Jesus and in your power in the spirit, you don't you don't give us these things. You don't pour out your, you know, offer up your son and pour out your spirit um, so that we could just kind of grope and grovel through life alone. But you create of your people, the disciples of Jesus, the followers, the witnesses of Jesus, you create this community that we call the church. Father, thank you for the gift of the church. Help us at Generations in the weeks ahead to not just understand what it looks like to be the church and, and why we exist as the church. Father, may you empower these people in this place for this time with your spirit so that they would actively participate in the work you have for them as the church. We pray just for this season ahead at Generations that you would do a phenomenal thing that we look back and shake our heads on as we see Jesus proclaimed, as we see our allegiance to Jesus held on to tightly with conviction, as we see even through suffering and persecution, it just be evident that you're at work here. Lives are saved and transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name.